Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. My name's Eleanor. I'm the missions development uh, and, you know, she called me the missions pastor. I'm the missions development pastor. I don't know if that uh, sounds fancier or, uh, you know, relegates me to a lower status, but uh, somehow I'm charged with developing missions at Gateway. So I'm not too sure how I'm going, but uh, it's a privilege to be here. I often laugh um, when I get invited to speak at different campuses. This is what I tell tend to find happens. Campus pastors like Andrew Circum, I can make fun of him because he's not here this morning. They invite me when they're not here. I'm not sure why that is. If it's because, okay, there's the least amount of damage that we won't hear or witness if we're here. Or if it's because, uh, you know, there's absolute trust in me and so they figure, well, we're safe if Ellen is there. But either way, I want to thank you, even though you had no say in that, on behalf of Andrew Circum for, for enduring me this morning. It's, it's great to be here. This is actually, now, I'm not sure, is this going to become a podcast? I'm not sure. Is it? It will be. Okay, well, I was about to say something, but I'll say it anyway. My favourite campus. Shh. <laughs> For those listening on the podcast, I'm just joking. I had to say that to win rapport. No, <laughs> no, I really enjoy coming into the city and uh, being with you all. So thank you for having me. As Hannah said, uh, I've had the privilege um, over the last close to three decades of uh, working with Youth With A Mission. I tell people back in those days, YWAM, Youth With A Mission, I was relatively Youth With A Mission uh, when I started. But uh, I've had the privilege, um, a little bit to you know, give credit to Hannah, um, of working in many, many nations. But probably the last 15, 20 years, I've predominantly worked in India. Have any of you been to India? No, nobody. Oh, one, a few of you. What an amazing nation. So much colour, so much, uh, so many people, so much spice, uh, so much noise. But it's a nation, if you like a good curry, India's the place to go. They have the most amazing curries and biryanis and... um, I took my brother there at at, uh, some point in the past, and uh, he's a vegetarian, and he loved uh, India. It has some of the most amazing vegetarian meals. And uh, India, believe it or not, is the only nation where I was discriminated against, this is true, because I wasn't a vegetarian. I was looking to get an apartment in a housing complex and uh, I had to go for an interview. In India, when you're single, um, a bachelor or single women are called spinsters, let's just get it out there. When you're single in India, you're expected to live with your parents. It's unheard of for single women to live by themselves, even though I lived with two other girls. But we had to go for an interview at this housing complex in Mumbai. I used to live in Mumbai, Bombay. And at the interview, they asked me if I was a vegetarian. And I thought, what a strange question. And I said, no, no, I'm not a vegetarian. And, you know, they shook their heads as Indians do. (laughs) And they said, we're so sorry, but this housing complex is only for vegetarians. And I thought, well, there's a new one. I've not heard of that before. So discrimination, because I wasn't a vegetarian. But I'm someone, you know, I grew up, if it doesn't have a bone in the meal, it's not a meal. Yeah, do I get an amen? Thank you, thank you. You know, my brother, I told you, my older brother, he's a vegetarian. He's been a vegetarian, I guess, for about probably 30 years as well. And uh, he, he chose to be a vegetarian um, 
because of health reasons. And you know, I understand vegetarians when there's health reasons that you would choose to be healthy and you know, you feel better, that's what my brother says. But this year, I started, oh not this year, last year, 15 months ago when I started working at Gateway, I was sharing the office with a lovely lady, Debbie, this is on iPod, you're going to hear it, but uh, with Debbie Ivanez, a friend of mine, a dear friend who works at Gateway, and Debbie is a vegan. Now, do I have any vegans in this room? Okay, because you know, now's the time you're going to get insulted, I'm just pre-warning you, no. And I was talking to Debbie. I said, now, what is a vegan? Like, what's that about? And so she was telling me about it. And, uh, you know, and, and, and I, now I can't resist any sort of vegan memes I see. Let's just pop that up there. You know, I've just got to send these to her on Facebook and, uh, because it just cracks me up, you know, vegans. But Debbie is a vegan or a vegetarian by choice. And, and that just... That, that just is mind-boggling. It's one thing if it's for health. It's another thing if it's for animal rights. That I can comprehend. But by choice, vegetables? You know, like, what's that about? And today, actually, this is a segue into what I want to talk about, is um, why vegetables are good for you. So I know you've sent all your children out. Parents, you should have kept your, your children here because this is a message for them. You could have went, see, listen, listen, why vegetables are good for you. Can you think of someone in the Bible, I'm sure you can, who chose vegetables? Who can you think of? Daniel. Daniel. Okay, I'm glad. Point one, Andrew, you're safe. They knew it was Daniel. The book of Daniel when you think of Daniel, what stories do you think of? Sorry, what was that? Okay, and what about those guys? Yeah, vegetarians, but what, what stories? Come on, what's a common story? The lion's den. At least one of you have read the book of Daniel. Well done. The rest of you just wanted to give her a heads up, yeah? Daniel and the lion's den. Or perhaps you're thinking of the fiery furnace. You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, amazing stories of uh, men that had quite amazing faith and trust in God, a confidence that God would protect them and a confidence in who God was. And so what I want to proposition or put before you today and use this as the foundation of what I want to talk about today is that that courage, that faith, that confidence in who God is, that battle was actually fought and won, not in the lion's den, but at a dining room table. The muscles to have faith and confidence and trust in who God is were actually strengthened first and foremost at the king's table. And so this morning we're going to start by looking at uh, Daniel chapter 1. It's quite a large passage of scripture, but I'm just going to read from Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of of Judah, into his hands, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to his temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. 
Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now God had caused the official to show favour and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has assigned you your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and he tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. And so the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and he gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Father, this morning we come before you. We position our hearts. We invite your Holy Spirit. We invite you, Jesus, the master teacher, the rabbi, Would you speak to us by your spirit this morning? Father, all things that would uh, come to distract, that would exalt themselves above the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, we take them captive. We choose to set our eyes upon you this morning. We choose to say, Father, would you speak? Would you teach Would you reveal the things that you're wanting to say today as only you can? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now that's quite a a large passage of scripture, but I believe there's uh, several points that I'd like to, to draw out of that this morning that I believe would be an encouragement and just something maybe the Lord wants to seal in our hearts from this passage. But let's put that large passage of scripture into context. It's always good to, uh, when we're reading uh, the different stories in the Bible, to understand the times that we're in. So Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq, we know that the prophets had spoken to the children of Israel many, many times and had forewarned them that unless they were obedient in following the commands of the Lord and in worshipping him alone and not marrying foreign women as they went into the, into the nations they were taking, into the promised land, they were to not marry foreign women and they were not to obey or worship foreign gods that they were to be a chosen people set aside, that the prophets had forewarned them that if they did not obey the Lord's commands, that they would be taken into exile, they would be taken into slavery, into a foreign land. And so what we're seeing in this passage of Scripture at the start of Daniel, the book of Daniel, is the foretelling of those prophets was coming to life. Iraq, modern-day Iraq, Babylonia, Nebuchadnezzar sent his troops into uh, Israel and into Jerusalem where they broke down the walls of the city and they destroyed the temple 
of Yahweh. They destroyed the temple of God. And what they did is they took prisoner all the educated people, all the well-to-do people, and specifically and very strategically, they took members of the royal household, many young men in particular, They were very strategic. Nebuchadnezzar knew that by taking the most educated, the wealthiest people, the intellects of the society, and just leaving a few of the poorer people uh, to work the land, that they would set the nation back a hundredfold. And so what we see in this story is here are Uh, All these people and Daniel and these good-looking young men we know without physical defect, which is, I think, an interesting point. But anyway, they're all taken as captives into the king's palace in Babylon, as slaves, as exiles. And so what we're seeing again is the king, he's very strategic. He knows not only are we going to take them captive, but these members, these young leaders of the royal family, we're going to put them through a rigorous and strenuous, try and say that, rigorous and strenuous uh, training where we're going to basically indoctrinate them into the ways of Babylonian culture. So they'll learn the language, they'll eat the food, they'll for three years be indoctrinated so that then they will lead the people in the ways of the Babylonians. And so we see as part of the training in this physical aspect, they were to eat the food that the king assigned for them. So in verse 5, it says, The king assigned for them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. But we see that Daniel and his friends, his three friends, now think about it, lots of young people from the royal family had been taken. These were all Jews, Jewish people who worshipped Yahweh, chosen people. Many were taken, but only four of them, only four of them responded in verse 8, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. So although many people, followers of Yahweh, of God, were taken, only four of them stood out to say, we're not going to eat the food that the king assigns and the wine. Now, you may be thinking, well, gosh, if that was me, I'd be kicking back, I'd be drinking that wine, cheers, you know, I'd be, I'd be uh, snacking on that food. If I'm going to be a prisoner, I may as well do five-star uh, prison, you know. But Daniel and his three friends, they understood something. You see, Nebuchadnezzar, again, this, this whole thing of indoctrinating people, he recognized it started with the slightest things that would cause people to compromise their faith. And because Daniel and his friends lived in what's called the Old Testament times, in the Old Covenant, they understood that the, the nations around them that worshipped foreign gods used to dedicate all their food, all their animals to their foreign gods. So they would dedicate anything that they were to eat or to drink to their foreign gods before they ate and drank. And Daniel and his friends knew that. So the equivalent would be in India where where I worked, that was very common, uh, particularly amongst Hindus, where they offer the food and anything that they bring into the house to eat and drink, they offer it to the foreign gods. In some ways, we can liken it to Christians before we eat, giving thanks, recognizing that God is the one who gives us what we eat and we drink. So Daniel and his friends knew that if they were to compromise and to drink the wine and the food that the king was offering them, they would be eating food and wine that had been sacrificed to idols. 
and they knew that that was wrong. It went against the, the rules and restrictions that were set in place for the children of Israel. Now, you know, some of you may be thinking, well, hang on a second, you know, I don't understand what the big deal is because we know in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, if we skip to the New Testament, we see, we see the Apostle Paul, he writes about food being sacrificed to idols. And he's very specific in what he writes. And he actually says, you know, to Christians, oh, let me sum it up. He basically says, look, it's a matter of conscience whether you eat food that's sacrificed to idols or not. Because Paul understood there's only one true God, Yahweh. King Jesus is only one true God. And therefore, you know, food that is offered to these false gods, it really means nothing. It's up to you and your conscience as to whether you eat or drink that food. But Daniel and his three friends, they didn't live in the post-Jesus time where Jesus made everything right. They lived under the rules and the regulations of the Old Testament. So they knew that if they were to eat and drink, they would be embracing Babylonian culture and embracing Babylonian ways. And so I want to pick it up from here. That's the context that we're talking about. What are three things that I believe when we examine this story, we can take out? So as a good Baptist pastor, Andrew, check one, two, three, three-point sermon, point number one. What are the three things we can draw from this today? So the first point is they were free to choose. Daniel and his friends, along with all the others that were taken captive, each and every person was free to choose what they would eat, veg or non-veg. The food of Babylonia, the food that had been offered to the foreign gods or not. And we know again that these young men that were taken from the royal household were told that they were without physical defect. They were that, you know, it'd be like the equivalent of, you know, Prince Harry and Prince William being taken. Yeah, they, you know, well, we'd probably leave uh, Andrew and Charles, but it's, uh, you know, it, it, here were these young men. So, you know, girls, it depends, you know, what your fancy is, Harry or, or William, if you'd go there without physical defect or what. But these men, you know, think about it. They were of the royal household. They were leaders. And not only that, they were really handsome men. You know, I'm sure they had good bodies, you know, strong, muscly men. These men could have been full of themselves. God's gift to women, God's gift to the nation. Look at us. We're, you know, Prince William or Prince Harry. They could have had it, you know, and said, we've got it all together so we can just do whatever we want. They could have chosen to go, we certainly will eat that food and drink that wine. Why have vegetables and water? And especially, especially if you're like me, it's, it's easy to choose God, the freedom to choose God when everything's going right in our lives, when we're full of faith and, you know, um, I saw you move, you moved the mountains, and I believe, I believe you'll do it again. Full of faith, full of confidence. But when everything's going chaotic, think about it. They're taken as prisoners, the temple's destroyed, they're, they're, they're basically slaves in a foreign land. If ever there was a time to feel perhaps abandoned, to feel forgotten, to feel, God, do you really see what I'm walking through right now? And do you even care that you're allowing these things to happen to me? I don't know about you, but I know for me, in those times where I feel God doesn't see me or he's not answering this dire need that I'm in, 
I start to go, I don't know, God. Will you do it again? Are you faithful? But what we see in this story is these men trusted God. They were free to choose, but they trusted in who Yahweh was, in his nature and in his character. You know, I have found in my life, people often ask me, how did you, how did you decide to be a missionary? My mum, she's so happy I'm a pastor now that I'm actually getting some salary, some money. She goes, oh, thank you, Jesus. Your father and I don't have to work till we're 93 to try and support you. Um, mum often says, you gave the best years of your life to missions, you know. And people often say, why? why? Why did you become a missionary? Why did you choose that? Now, I don't know about you, but for me, what I have found in my life, I used to be a primary school teacher. I taught here in Brisbane, out at Kingston. I taught for nearly eight years before I went onto the mission field. And... Um, I often tell people I stumbled into missions. I'm not one of those people that saw a bright shining light and a voice from heaven said, be a missionary. I, I feel like I kind of stumbled into it. But I remember when I was praying about, Lord, should I, should I leave school teaching and be a missionary and, and go off and, and do missions? And I really felt in my heart, God was saying, Eleanor, it's your choice. And I remember arguing with God. Well, okay, God, you say in, you know, we love to quote scripture to God like he doesn't know, you know, we hold him accountable. You say in your word in Proverbs 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, Trust in you with all of our heart. Lean not on our own understanding. Acknowledge you in all our ways and you will make our path straight. Okay, God, I'm trusting you. I'm acknowledging you. Should I be a missionary or not? And all I felt God say is, Eleanor, what do you want? And I went... No, 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 God, you, you say in your word that you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Okay, God, is this the way? Do I be a missionary or do I be a school teacher? God, just, okay, I'm waiting, I'm waiting for the word. This is the way, walk in it. Is it this way or this way, God? Eleanor? You choose. I have found, even in leaving the mission field, so last year I stepped into work at Gateway. I never expected to, to step in as a pastor. When it was presented to me, God, is it time for me to leave the mission field? Should, should I stay as a missionary or should I be a pastor? God, this is the way, walk in it. Which way, God? Which way? You choose. What I have consistently found, at least in my life, I don't know about in, in your lives and the way God works with you, is I have found that God is sovereign. God is a God who can speak. He can come as a shining light like Paul on the road to Damascus. He can speak. He can, he can make it so clear but what I have found consistently is often God says, Eleanor, what is it you want? I have found his sovereignty and my human responsibility somehow go together. Somehow God works with what is it I want. It kind of reminds me of Esther, the story of Esther, where her uncle Mordecai, he says to Esther, go and go to the king and ask him for the life of the Jewish people because the king was going to get them annihilated. 
And Esther goes, are you joking? If I go into the king's presence without being invited, I can be killed. And Mordecai says, Esther, don't you think God has placed you in that position for such a time as this, to fight on behalf of your people? And so Esther gets everybody praying and fasting for three days, and then she walks into the king's presence, and the king, with his scepter, which is the symbol of authority, he extends his scepter to Esther, and he utters three words. Does anyone know what those three words were? He says, what do you want? What do you... Oh, four words. <laughs> what do you want? If you say it fast, it's three. He says, see, I only talk grade one. Three and four is very confusing to me. He says, what do you want? Dan, Dan's sitting there going. <laughs> four words. He says, Esther, what do you want? That is what I have consistently found... In my life, God has said at those major points where I have to make a choice, God has said, Eleanor, what do you want? Because choices have consequences. And God does not treat me like a robot. You shall go here and do this. There's this choice. There's a freedom to choose. And, you know, for you and I, we know that in this life, it's just choice after choice after choice. The Christian life, the human life, is full of choices. And God gives us freedom, just like Daniel and his friends, to choose what do you want. The trap becomes when we choose compromise the trap becomes, if you're someone like me, struggled a bit with my weight over the years, my thorn in the flesh or too much in the flesh, you know, there's a choice. I can eat vegetables. Or I go to the shop and there's a cream donut. And it's got my name on it saying, Eleanor, I'm calling you. And, uh, you know, I'm at the supermarket and I can choose what is it I want. Now, I can say, God, help me. God, get behind me, Satan. In my case, I'm get behind me, Satan, and push towards the cream donut, you know. But there's choices. Life is full of choices. And this is the easy choice. This is the tastiest choice. This is the yummiest choice. Let's just do a quick survey. Let's, let's do a survey. Who would choose this? Oh, goody two shoes. Sarah, would Dan really choose this? Eh? <laughs> Who would choose this? Yes, come on. Oh, three of us are. Yes, okay. Well, it's, I must admit it's looking pretty sad at the moment, but... Uh, Life is full of choices, and they're not always easy. But it comes back to what is it you truly want? God, what is it that you want? What is it that you're calling me to? What choices are you facing right now? It's so easy to compromise. Just like Daniel and his friends, they could have chosen the king's menu. They could have made subtle choices that let go of some of their convictions and what they believe God was calling them to. Point number two. See, this is how you know. You go, okay, we're on number two. Good, come on, keep going. Let's get through this. Number two. Number one, they were free to choose. <clears throat> number two. That, oh, am I allowed to say number two? Sorry, on a podcast. Point number two. They willingly face the challenge that was put before them. They willingly face the challenge. Now, a challenge is only a challenge when it's difficult. Otherwise, it's easy. You can't call something a challenge that's easy. 
A challenge only becomes a challenge where somehow it takes a little bit of grit, it takes a little bit of stamina, it takes a little bit of resolve to say, okay, I'm going to walk into this challenge. And we see in verse 12 to 14 where Daniel says to the servant, please test your servants for 10 days. Give nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to do this and he tested them for 10 days. And so we see Daniel willingly faces a challenge and he actually says, test us. You know, life has a way, there's a saying that life, experience is a hard teacher. Experience is a hard teacher because it often gives the test first before you learn the lesson. In other words, we walk through often the challenging time, the test that lays before us, and often it's only when you get to the end of that challenge that we look back and we go, now I can see what God was teaching me through that. It's often in hindsight when we've walked through the challenge, when we've walked through the test. Somehow with challenges and tests, God often wants to reveal, to draw back the curtain to show us what's in our hearts, to show show us what's really there. I told you I used to live in Mumbai, Bombay, and I used to drive in India, believe it or not. You want to talk about challenging? Try driving in India. It's not for the faint-hearted, I tell you. I had a little Hyundai Centro. That's like a little Getz, so a little beep-beep barina, a little tiny car, you know. And uh, myself and, uh, and another missionary were driving from Mumbai, Bombay, to the south of India to a place called Bangalore. And it was about a 16-hour drive in this little, little gets, this little centro. And we were on a freeway. I'm using uh, air quotes because, you know, freeway in regards to an Indian freeway, which isn't really a freeway like in Australia. I was sleeping. I was a passenger. My friend was driving the car. And I was sleeping nicely. And then I was awoken as my friend slammed on the brakes. And, you know, you're in the seatbelt, so you lurch forward in this little Santro. Your head nearly goes through the windscreen because it's only a little distance. My hand's on the dashboard in front of me. Eyes wide open, and there hurtling towards us was a huge semi-trailer. A shaktiman, they're called in India. These huge, big semi-trailers hurtling towards us on our side of the road. And you know how it kind of happens simultaneously? I look over, and on this side of me, like one foot away, is another semi-trailer. So we're right beside this semi-trailer. She was overtaking it. And there was a corner and another semi-trailer's coming towards us. I thought, this is it. This, I'm about to meet my maker. I uttered three words. Three words. My last three words on earth. And they were not, please, Jesus, help. They started with an S. They ended with a T. And I said it three times. (laughs) My last three words on earth were cuss words, swear words, three times. And I could just picture myself standing before Jesus and Jesus going, well, Eleanor, you certainly went out with a bang. And I would have went, yeah, sorry about that, God. My last three words of earth, swear words. But it showed me what was in my heart when it came to that moment. And it wasn't Jesus help me. It was swearing. You know, what is it you are facing? What's the challenge that you're walking through? What's God wanting to reveal the test 
there in your heart? What is it that surfaces up when you face those difficult challenges and tests that lay before you? So we see they were free to choose. What is it you want? Freedom to choose. They willingly face the challenge and said, test us. And then the third point that I want to bring out this morning is they kept their focus on God. So they were free to choose. They willingly faced the challenge and they kept their focus on God. Daniel put obedience to the Lord above everything else, above the path of least resistance, above the temptation to compromise. He kept in front of him the focus of the Lord and obedience to the Lord as his highest priority. There's so many temptations that come our way. It's so easy to focus on the wrong things. Now, I don't know, 10 years ago, some of you would remember this, when uh, 3D pictures were the big craze. You remember those 3D pictures? Where you'd have to almost go into a, a, a trance to look at them, and then gradually this 3D image pops out of the picture. You know what I'm talking about? Well, in some ways, that, I'm not saying go into a trance, but my point is this, we need to set our eyes, fix our eyes on Jesus. Focus on who he is, on the things he's calling us to, especially when the challenges come, when the, the difficulties come our way. It's only then we have exercised our muscles enough to say no to the things that tempt us, to say no to the things that want to distract us from the higher purposes of God. What are you focused on today? That's where Paul in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, the apostle Paul writes, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes upon Jesus. <laughs> the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Paul understood when he spoke to the early Christians, fix your eyes upon Jesus. Make him your focus. Throw off everything that entangles, the stuff that, that holds us captive. You can go, well, how does a cream donut hold us captive? But I want to tell you it does, at least in my life. What holds you captive? Is it alcohol? Is it pornography? Is it lying? Is it laziness? Is it gossip? Is it watching Netflix? What is it that entangles and so easily holds us captive that our focus is on that thing? Because the only one rejoicing and celebrating when our focus is on the wrong things is the enemy who comes to rob, steal, and destroy. The enemy who comes to cause us to want to choose the easier things, to want to choose the tastier things, whether it's gossip or, or whatever it is that holds us in bondage. But we're told, no, life is full of choices. Run with perseverance. How do you walk the Christian life? How do you stay faithful to the end? Is choice after choice after choice after choice consistently every day that says, Father, I put my focus on you. 
you and you alone. I'm going to invite the worship team back up. We live in a world today that wants us to choose the easiest option. We live in a world today, as a matter of fact, that doesn't only want us to choose the path of least resistance, to choose, you know, when I'm hungry and I go to Woolies and I know I've had a hard day at work and, you know, things have been really hectic and maybe I'm feeling emotional, you know, I don't know, not all of us are like that, but okay, and I go to Woolies and I know I've got to buy some stuff for dinner. Well, I want to tell you what. Buying vegetables, cooking a healthy meal, it just kind of feels like more work. It's so much easier. I'll just buy a pizza. I'll just stop for takeaway. I'll j- In other words, it's so much easier to choose the easier option. But God, I believe, wants to remind us, this isn't about whether you eat a cream thing or a vegetable. The point is... What is it that God is causing us to focus on? You know, again, when I've had a busy day at work or I'm at work or wherever I am and somebody comes up and they really are dealing with an issue or they want prayer for something and I'm standing in front of them and they're sharing their heart or they're, they're sharing with me what's going on in their life, It is so easy for me inwardly, not outwardly, but inwardly to not be present because I'm thinking about, oh, I've got to do that and I've got to write that email and I've got to contact that person. And so I can be looking at the person going, "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But inside, I'm not there with them. I'm not present. I'm not focused on them. I'm thinking about all the stuff that I've got to do. We live in a time where God wants to say, look, you are free to focus on whatever you want to focus on, but will you fix your eyes on me? Will you choose me in the midst of the challenge? You're free to choose. I don't believe, you know, if I pick that up and ate that right now, a bolt of lightning's not going to come from heaven. It could, but I doubt it. Just a few kilos right on my butt will come instead. I'm free to choose. God, I believe, wants to tell us, let's make this. You know, Rebel Wilson called 2021 or 2020 her year of health. I I believe God wants to say, will we make 2021? With all we're walking through, with COVID and the uncertainty that's around us today, will we fix our eyes on Jesus? And make this a year of saying, Father, I choose to focus on you. I choose to, to, to walk the things you're calling me to, to exercise my muscles. That's what spiritual discipline is. Spiritual disciplines, things like prayer and fasting and thanksgiving and the different disciplines, they're not meant to be like these chores that we've got to do. They're meant to be exercises where we grow our faith muscles. So if I struggle with a particular uh, area in my life, I go, you know what? I choose to exercise my muscle through a spiritual discipline to say no to that thing. Not because I'm earning brownie points and God loves me more or somehow that makes me holier. But just like Daniel and his friends, I believe there's a, at least for me, there's a life verse I've always tried to hold on to when the hard times come. And that's from Matthew 6, verse 33, where we're reminded, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. I like the way the Message Bible, Eugene Peterson writes it. He says, steep your life in God reality. 
God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now and don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come when the time comes. Let's choose to put our focus on God, to say, Father, I seek you first above everything else. I freely choose not to take the path of least resistance. I freely choose Jesus to fix my eyes on you, only you, and run the race that's marked out. Because Father, I know in you is abundant life, the life I'm meant to live the life I know you've called me to. And so as we finish up this morning, I want us just to, just to take a moment now, just quietly, just where you are, to invite the Holy Spirit to say, Father, where am I struggling to choose you? Where am I led to put my focus on other things? Father, where do I choose the easier option? Because it's just easier. Father, what are the vegetables in the water you're calling me to eat and drink? Because they lead to a path that is so much higher. Just ask the Holy Spirit, just take a moment, just in quietness. chaos, that you are our bright shining star, our morning light, our compass when the road is long. And in this life, the road is often long. Father, you are our portion. You are never failing. Let our prayer be for me, only Jesus, only Jesus, only Jesus. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.